0: Is the environment you're placing your ads the most effective it could be for your brand? Research shows premium digital environments deliver superior memorability, leading to attitude change and driving purchase intent. When you're looking to make a lasting impression, think premium digital. Visit thinkpremiumdigital.com.au to find out more. I'm Tim Burrows. Today we're talking about the world's top 100 brands with Future Brand's Richard Curtis. Richard took local ownership of Future Brand just over two years ago in July 2020. Each year Future Brand publishes its ranking of perceptions of the top 100 biggest brands globally. Now as usual there are some surprises and we'll get onto that shortly. First though, Richard, welcome along. Two years on from buying the shop locally, how's business?
1: Well, it's good to be here again, Tim. I always enjoy having a having a chat, and and look, business is great. Um, I think that you know we spent a lot of time this year um, on the client experience, and that's building on top of the first year where we invested a lot of time and energy in the employee experience. It it seemed to make sense to me to build from the inside out. Um, and those two things seem to be working well. And and I, I suppose I know they're working well, just given that we measure them um, in terms of the the employee experience and then also um, client satisfaction in terms of NPS. And so, you know, it's good, you know, on a on a regular basis to be able to check in with how we're going not only qualitatively in terms of feedback, but then also quantitatively. And so, um, so yeah, so no complaints, kind of happy employees, happy team, happy clients.
0: You took on management or ownership of the franchise, you know, right, right when COVID was still a new and scary thing. Um, Looking back, that must have uh, at least raised a question for you about whether it was the time to do it. Uh, uh, Any, any regrets? Um, two years on, or um, are you just feeling that you, uh, you 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 picked the right moment to leap? Definitely no
1: regrets. Definitely, definitely none. Um, and and in terms of the decision at the time, you know, there's obviously um, kind of risks and and rewards. Um, and I think we've very much seen the upside. I think the the significant change is really the. The independent ownership and the fact that we're able to make decisions at a local level and, and the team and the clients um, are all, I suppose, confident that they can, you know, look the person in the eye who's making those decisions um, and, and, you know, see the decisions for what they are. So I think that's like huge upside in terms of independence and control um, and and it's definitely an and you know we're still very much you know part of a a global outlook in the way in which we see the world and the kind of work that we do and and the clients with whom we work and you know um, thought leadership like the future brand index and, and being able to contribute to that so so of course with any decision you know there's there's all kinds of dynamics to consider but you know I think at the time I was relatively. I wouldn't say confident. I don't think anyone was ever kind of confident going back to two two years or so. But certainly very comfortable that um, it was a good decision um, born of kind of good insight. Um, And certainly so far so good. I have a a healthy dose of paranoia around these things. So Mm -hmm. my mantra tends to be so far so good. And, and, And that's, you know, as true now as it's ever
0: been. And before we do get into the index, a couple of other uh, projects you've been involved in over the uh, the last couple of years since we last uh, we, we we last uh, spoke whilst recording, um, thirty three was a project you did uh, in the early days of COVID. Maybe talk, talk 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 me through what that was.
1: Yeah, that was um, an accidental success, if you like, um, but one of the team. When COVID first kicked in and and we were all kind of in lockdown, one of the team suggested to me, so I can't really take credit for the idea, but suggested to me that I might want to repurpose my commute. Um, And we were chatting over lunch in Melbourne, and I knew this was probably going to be the last trip for a while. Um, And so I posted the next day um, that I was going to repurpose my commute. And so my commute's about 90 minutes, um, and it just went off um on linkedin you know got hundreds of requests to the point that i think that was the thursday then over the weekend i had to build a website with a little bit of help uh, and then integrated calendly and zoom and gmail so that people could um in an automated fashion book time i also had to work out well i can't just talk to the one person for 90 minutes this is going to go on forever and so, um, kind of figured out that why don't I do three 30 minute sessions? Um, and so, in a very functional way, the name came from that because then I'm like, well, we need a name, um, hence 33 and um, 30 minutes three times a day. And so, for weeks, you know, this went so on. I'd, I'd start my day Monday to Friday and with three 30 minute conversations with three perfectly random strangers. Um, who were you know interested in some form of free advice on on brands and marketing and it was it was it was really interesting on on so many different levels and selfishly I'd have to say um, it was just such a great way to start the day by these kind of three little mini challenges really um, and also just to be able to start your day by helping other people. At a time when so many of us felt quite helpless. Um, and I should add, my wife generally thinks I'm quite useless. Um, you know, I'm definitely not um, good with my hands around the house and those sorts of things. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it was quite nice to be able to be useful um, on a daily basis um, and, you know, just show. Some gratitude, if nothing else, um, and give back, and um, and yeah, it was it was all kinds of fun and, and interesting um, and slightly bizarre, um, but a great way to spend the start of your day through lockdown.
0: And uh, speaking of making yourself useful, um, you've also added another strategic string to your bow uh, in the world of politics. You uh, helped the Independent. Kylie Tink get um get elected in the federal election
1: yes i was one of many people who helped um and and look that was an opportunity um that was an invitation that um kind of came out of 33 where one of these calls one morning um was you know talking about uh, this independent candidate who you know who had to remain unnamed um, until I'd signed, you know, NDAs and whatnot, um, and it's it was an interesting one insofar as when I was earlier in my career, my ultimate had always seemed to me to be to work on a political campaign because it seemed the most—I'm not sure what the right word is—but it, it seemed the most kind of real market as as real a marketing campaign as you could get because it's all live in real time happening, and in terms of. Uh, kind of effectiveness and results. It's, it's the ultimate result in terms of a, a democratic vote and then who gets elected. Um, and then I think like many of us got a little bit jaded by politics over the years. So I wasn't necessarily looking for it, but I think that was the beauty of 33 that, you know, things like that might pop up and you'd be involved in conversations that you might never have anticipated. And so I was like, well, you know, what the heck? Yep, let's do this thing. And, um, and it was great. I mean it was super interesting. And look, I should say my involvement was very much more at the front end rather than the real cut and thrust. Um, and that's tend to, you know, that that kind of tends to play to, you know, where as a business, not that future brand was involved, but in terms of my day job, my profession, if you like, you know, we're at the more strategic end of things. Um, but I can't I won't lie, you know, watching Sky News interviews and things and and hearing um Kylie. He's great, by the way. Um, hearing Kylie say things, you know, not that I that, that I might have informed or influenced in some way. I'm certainly not a a, 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 a speechwriter. Um, you know, you can't help but smile and 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 feel as though you are helping in some small way. So um, again, like super interesting from a strategic point of view, um, and something a little bit different. And, um, you know, very happy to have been involved.
0: And Kylie is uh, from a PR background herself. So presumably um, that must have at least helped for quite an informed conversation when you were talking about strategy.
1: Yes. Um, yes, she was certainly, you know, she, she is very engaged. And look, you know, she's one of those people who um, is just good fun to be around. Um, and so that, that makes it very easy. And she, you know, um, was kind of had a point of view, but also, you know, good at taking on board feedback. And I think, yes, I think a lot of that, you know, might not necessarily come from her background in terms of um, kind of skill set, but, but around, you know, marketing or PR or, or, or whatever it might be. But more so, I think, leadership. And um, she's very much someone who gets things done. And so McGrath Foundation, for example, um, you know, some lovely stories um, ar- ar- around um, kind of converting even the most cynical uh, media folk about what the possibilities of um, the McGrath Foundation might be. So, um, so yes, I think that that kind of having a clear point of view and the ability to listen and challenge herself as much as anyone else. Um, Certainly made for some really kind of good conversations and I think a, a good strategy on her part.
0: Well the reason for um, chatting today is to talk about the index now, as I mentioned in the introduction, there have been some surprises um not least a remarkable improvement for Facebook's owner meta, which we'll come on to in a few minutes um, before we start talking about individual brands for the index um can we uh, just talk about the methodology because obviously that's what then drives the results um what the index isn't is a survey of the general public.
1: No. And uh, look, where we start is we start with uh, PwC's list of the top 100 companies globally by market capitalization. So it's quite literally the 100 biggest companies in the world. Um, And then we uh, rank those based on the strength of their brand perceptions. Um, And in order to understand what the strength of those brand perceptions might be, um, we go to what the kind of the research sample is described as informed professionals. So it's not um, kind of the the person in the street, so to speak, but these are people who ought to know who are business leaders, decision makers, market watchers, um, they're informed professionals. Um, And so that's really about, Um, Getting a a clear and, you know, as the description might suggest, you know, an informed perspective on um, how those brands might be perceived. And so there's a there's a there's a a correlation or not, if you like, um, between, um, you know, those businesses, those companies um, that are higher or lower in terms of their market capitalization, their financial value um, and then higher or lower. Um, in terms of the strength of their brand perception and so naturally you know that suggests not only insights but also strategies um, for how you might build your brand and um, you know as much as it's global brands um, that uh, the, the, the focus and, and look there are two Australian brands that are big enough in terms of market cap to be considered uh, namely BHP and uh, Commonwealth Bank you know while they are global brands I think given that we're talking about the top end of town, if you like, um, I think there's a lot that brands everywhere can learn um, in terms of um, how those brands are growing or or not.
0: And then for the criteria that these professionals, and if I remember rightly, I think there's about 3,000 of them around the world were surveyed. Um, questions like how the brands are approaching climate change environment, corporate governance, positive impact on society diversity those sort of questions
1: yeah so what what underpins the study is um kind of two areas if you like one is purpose the other is experience Um, i think you'd have to be under a rock in the marketing world not to have come across the concept of purpose over the past few years but equally important is experience Um, And so what we find, and when I say find, we're able to demonstrate this through the data, is that when you strengthen the link between a brand's purpose and the everyday experience, that's when your brand gives your business a measurable competitive advantage. And that's fundamentally why you want to build and grow any brand. It's to to give your business, product, service, organization a competitive advantage. So fundamentally, it's about purpose and experience. And then um, each of those two are made up of a, of a total of six um, dyma- dynamics around um, does this, uh, uh, in terms of purpose, does it have a clear vision for the future, for example, um, in terms of experience, uh, does it foster a strong emotional connection? So purpose and experience break out to a further six, and there's those six um, are each supported by Kind of uh, eighteen attributes in total, and so if you were to read the report, you would see for each of the brands these spider maps that are split half-half purpose experience, and then to dive into the dynamics, um, you know there, there's eighteen attributes whether it's mission or attachment or individuality um, through which we can not only understand well are they are they leaning more one way or the other kind of more on purpose and more of experience and then subsequently dive into some of the detail to understand why these brands might stand out
0: well before we go to the top end let's let's talk about the two australian brands so uh bhp um that's uh ranking has actually improved slightly um compared to to last year which i i seem to remember also seeing some um uh, data, or a survey of the Australian public about perceptions of brands which are, um, doing something about, uh, sustainability than doing quite well. Now, obviously, you know, anyone who's listened to this in Australia will be familiar with the kind of, the, 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 you know, the fairly, uh, high profile advertising campaign that BHP did. Um, do you, do you think when it comes to globally, is it more than just the Commercial messages, the the, the yeah the, the the marketing messages that 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 builds this sort of perception.
1: Yeah, I think it, it certainly is. I mean, twelve months ago, uh, when we were having these conversations around um, last year's Future Brand Index, BHP had just done the deal with Tesla, um, part of which was around supply chain, uh, was, was around um, supply of battery minerals, um, but part of it was also around supply chain. Um, and, you know, they are strategic investments. And, and from a research and perception perspective, you know, those are recognised just as much as, you know, whatever the latest and greatest ad campaign might be. Uh, and, look, since then, um, kind of BHP, I think, have, have reported the biggest single dividend um, in Australian history. So they're clearly going incredibly well um, as an organisation. Um, and if I remember correctly, I think they're one on the list.
0: Yeah, they went up from number 60 to number 59, I think, on the list.
1: Yeah. So where, where their financial value is on par with um, how they rank in terms of the strength of their um, brand perception.
0: Oh, yes. I see what you mean. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which would suggest that they're not kind of under or over leveraged.
0: Which considering the, the you know, the... Uh, environmental impact that miners have is probably an achievement of marketing to to be on parity.
1: Well, I think, you know, they're all trying to shift their business. Um, and certainly, um, you know, what you do see and and just kind of thinking about some of the others um, that are on the list, you know, the next eras, for example, you know, there is this, kind of very clear future focus. And so those organizations that are able to harness that future focus and are perceived to be moving ahead um, are the ones that really do seem to make gains in terms of perceptions. You know, certainly the top five um, all score very highly um, in terms of moving ahead. And I think there's some really interesting kind of um, correlations or kind of associations that those brands have. You know, I'm sure we'll get to that, but you know, the other brand you mentioned is Commonwealth Bank. And look, I think I think that's really interesting. I mean, they haven't been um, in the study for a few years just because they weren't on the PwC list. And so they dropped off in terms of market cap. And look, finance as a sector um, has always been under pressure. It's always performed under average, kind of below the average of all the other sectors um, in these studies. Um, and I think it's and and the the ones that are classified as finance really only start appearing in the 40s and 50s. In the way in which things are coded by PwC, you know, there's the PayPal's and the MasterCards that appear higher. Um, in what they describe as industrial. But if you look at those classic finance companies, and I think um, you know CBA is one of those, it just shows you that you can deliver these incredible experiences. And I think you know CBA is one that has invested very successfully in terms of the experience. But unless you have that clarity and strength of purpose working its way through the experience, then you're always going to under index in terms of the strength of your brand's perceptions overall. And, and I think this is where, you know, we have seen some of those consumer brands struggle. They're great on experience, but lacking in purpose. And so, you know, their brand is therefore not as strong as it might be. And so I think that's one of the things that um, keeps a lid on um, the the strength of, of brand perceptions in the finance sector, and so if you then look at PayPal, um, which is you know much higher, um, I think it might be in ten or eleven from memory. Uh, sorry, twenty. But if you look at if you look at PayPal, um, it's really um, quite strong when it comes to its purpose. You know that's certainly the thing that stands out um, for us when we kind of dive into the detail. Um, And, you know, in areas like thought leadership, innovation, um, its ability to inspire, um, it it scores very high and much higher than in previous years. And so I think that's where uh, finance brands in general can learn from the PayPal's of the world. And, And as I mentioned earlier, as much as we're talking about, you know, the top 100 companies, I think that's, um, definitely a learning for finance companies um, in Australia. That- yeah, so
0: ComBank to share their number is at 91. Um, now, last time they were in the table, they were at number 80. Does it does it say much about their direction of travel that they've actually kind of returned to that top 100 at a slightly lower number than last time round? do you think?
1: Um, I, I don't think there's all that much we can read in it. I mean, their market cap has obviously grown since then, um, and the world has changed quite significantly. But you know, I think I think the bigger message is the fact that finance is always under-indexed. Um, it's always struggled, um, and um, there's there's something keeping a lid um, on that category. Um, and it seems to be um, that they under-index on purpose, all the while delivering great experiences. Um, but you need both of those things to be working in, in unison um, in order to support brand building and brand growth.
0: Okay. Well, let's um, let's go right to the top of the table. And the thing that strikes me about the number one brand is it's one that I, I suspect your average Australian consumer won't even have heard of.
1: No. Um, I think that's quite right, unless, of course, they were paying attention last year because uh, it featured quite prominently in, in, in last year's list as well. So,
0: And this is next era energy we're talking about.
1: Yes. Next era energy.
0: So who are they? What do they do? Why? Why had I not heard of them until I was researching uh, the index?
1: It's, it's, a, it's a very good question. Um, perhaps you're an uninformed professionally. I'm, I'm only joking.
0: Um, <laughs> That's probably almost certainly the answer.
1: But look, I mean, we're a long way from us uh, at times. Um, so, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, some of these companies aren't necessarily on our radar. Um, but NextEra, the world's largest utility company. So they generate more wind and solar energy than any other firm in the world. Um, and so, you know, I think they appeared for the first time on last year's study. Um, and look, for a little while now, for a few years, we've had businesses like TSMC and ASNL, who are kind of microchip and, uh, and, and what producers and whatnot, appear like really hardcore B2B firms on the list. And, um, and, and this has continued to evolve and grow, the number of these B2B brands showing up. Um, that are essentially invested in or building the infrastructure of the future, and so that's where it was technology. Um, kind of going back to uh, kind of two or three years ago. Certainly last year and this year, it's been it's been around you know, energy and utilities, um, and it's it's this real future focus that those companies that are involved in and investing in. The, the building blocks um, on which our, you know, futures will rely and depend to, to live and work and, and and play and so on, those score incredibly well um, in terms of the strength of their brand perceptions.
0: The one that was the biggest surprise for me was Meta, parent company of Facebook, up all the way from number 49 to number 5, Um i suppose one of the big changes is the the, the rebrand of the parent company um is it as simple as that is it just the new name suddenly people forget how mm, evil's is a bit harsh but you know what i mean how how evil they are
1: um look i i i shared your surprise um you know certainly when i kind of read kind of read it at a headline level let's say um but what they've done, and I th- is, I think they've they've got a real clarity of mission since they've made that change. And if we just dwell on that point for a moment, you can compare it usefully, I think, with Alphabet. And when Alphabet came into being, parent
0: company of Google,
1: exactly Google's uh, kind of new parent company, it was very murky insofar as. What was Alphabet's role? What was it all about? How would it fit? Would it still be all about Google and search, etc., etc., etc.? And it's only kind of more recently that Alphabet started to take greater shape, clearer shape in people's minds. Whereas Meta um, seems to have put its stake in the ground straight off the bat um, and been very clear about its strategic intent. And I also think it's provided a bit of a renaissance for Zuckerberg himself. Um, And I can't help but feel, and certainly when we've reflected on this uh, at Future Brand as a team, kind of we can't help but feel that perhaps the metaverse is much more in tune with Zuckerberg's kind of true character or focus or skill set. As a robot, (laughs) quite possibly quite possibly but it and and you know I was reading an interview with him um, the other day uh, where they made a point of highlighting how he described himself as a product designer on multiple occasions in the interview and so all of these things are adding up to you know if we can keep Zuckerberg focused on tech and and like the building side of tech and and let others worry about, and not worry about, but like manage proactively um, some of the more social elements. Not that you can necessarily kind of unbundle those things, but you know, let's have him focused on what he's best at. And and clearly there were some shortcomings in his leadership kind of in the Facebook iteration. But I think it all, it, it all adds up to, you know, this is an organization that has a much clearer picture on its mission than ever before. And I think it's also got first mover advantage on the metaverse. And we see that show up in terms of a very strong score on individuality. So it's far more distinctive um, than it's been in recent times. Um, And you can compare that again usefully, I think with the likes of Netflix um, that aren't quite as individual and distinctive as they once were. So I suppose my point being, um, kind of in isolation, yes, raised eyebrows, a little bit of surprise. But once you start looking at these things relatively, I think you can point to successes um, at the level of meta.
0: You've mentioned B2B already. Um, maybe talk a bit about the rise of B2B brands.
1: This, this coming, it, it's, I mean, it's certainly the rise of B2B brands, but it's it's a trend. Um, that has been growing Um, and again it's it's something that has been picked on kind of picked up you know relatively broadly across the media and I think we're all far more aware of these B2B brands um, than ever before and and I I think it's really interesting to take a bit of a step back and think about you know the evolution of um, our economy if you like as much as um, the world of marketing and you know, much of much of marketing has been informed by the 1960s consumer brands. Um, you know, the modern consumer economy, as it was, um, you know, refrigerators and uh, and the like, and and that was very much the future. Whereas what we're seeing in terms of those brands uh, with the strongest uh, perceptions. Um, is yes, you know they are very much future focused, but future focused in a way that isn't just the latest greatest fridge, but it's the infrastructure on which our futures will be built. And so you know, I think what we're seeing here you know, is B2B brands finally coming to the fore um, in the ways in which they um, you know, create and deliver that the platforms and the systems and, and the infrastructure you know, on which we will, you know, live, work and play and so on. And so, and I can't help but think that there will, they, they almost have a natural advantage in terms of their purpose. And I know purpose for many um, is a little bit of a struggle insofar as what is the purpose of a toothpaste or a tomato ketchup or a mayo or whatever it might be. And, and I think that's where, you know, people have a crack at purpose and say it's meaningless um, and, and doesn't have much kind of value. But it does have massive value, you know, if you're in the B2B space and in terms of fundamentally what those businesses are engineered to do. But data centers and, you know, mobile towers Um, and kind of that that level of infrastructure. And so, you know, they in some respects have always had the opposite challenge versus the B2C, Um, you know, B2C great on experience, not so much purpose or purpose might be a little superficial or even trivial, whereas they have a very deep and meaningful and rich purpose. If only, you know, we could deliver on the experience for B2B brands, which is where I... You know, we'd always say we live in a post-TedX world. Business has never been more expressive, more evocative, more emotive, and and I think that's where we're seeing this conversation surface around B two B branding. Not that much different from B two C, and you know, we can it is just as emotional in the ways in which you might make those decisions. So you know, we saw this. We saw this trend, um, you know, over the, in, over the last couple of years, certainly in last year's um, study. It's right at the fore in terms of this year's study. And I think it's a real shot in the arm in terms of giving confidence to B2B marketers that, you know, there's a huge opportunity. Um, and, and that's certainly something that we're seeing in, uh, you know, in, in the future brand index this year.
0: And another, another big brand which saw a big jump, um, McDonald's at number 40 and that was a jump of 36 places. Um, so yeah, I'd be interested for you to sort of reflect on what it might be that's powering McDonald's up that list at the moment. You know, what, what they've done differently more recently, because clearly they've always been a powerful brand, but you know, what, what is it about them over the last 12 months, do you think?
1: I think part of it was a bit of a bounce back um, and we did predict slash foreshadow that um, in last year's study, you know, naturally, uh, or at least for obvious reasons, um, bricks and mortar suffered um, last year, just given the lockdowns. And so, you know, there is a little bit of bounce back um, in that as well. But the other, the other, element to it, which I think is equally, if not more important, um, is just um, this idea of pleasure um, and how they've been able to better deliver on that. And again, kind of post-pandemic, that idea of um, pleasure is is, more important than ever. And we certainly see that play out in terms of um, consumer discretionary and, and consumer staples as a category. Um, you know that that ability to bring joy to people um, and so I, I think that's where you know you can largely pin if you like much of um, much of McDonald's success you know that idea of pleasure but you know they're still very strong in terms of mission and, and then also personality and 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 you know storytelling is part of that and so you know McDonald's has always been great at you um, the, the experience side of things like I still find it mesmerizing that you can the consistency in terms of the fries anywhere in the world I mean that just seems to need to be magical that you can kind of walk into any store on the planet and it's exactly the same um, but I think over the years um, they've they've invested in a clearer sense of mission and purpose and and you know that's you know that's been successful for them in terms of of that kind of full circle effects, if you like. Uh, and I, I, I'm kind of making a circular motion with my hands, but essentially when you look at those spider maps in the rapport, full circle means you've, you've got a spot, a kind of a footprint um, that is relatively consistent across the board, as opposed to just kind of spiking here and there. Um, and I think that it, it's that consistency that served McDonald's well.
0: Now, if we were going to do this same exercise for Australian brands, you know, the hundred biggest market cap Australian brands. Um, who do you think would do well? You know, who would who would be? Which which brands do you personally admire the most? Um, which, which of large Australian brands? Yeah,
1: look, I I mean Commonwealth Bank would be up, would, would be up there for sure, and, and we talked um, a little bit about them earlier, um, but I, I can't help but think that. Um, you know, in Australia, perhaps in, in, in some ways uh, more than uh, finance companies overseas, you know, there would be that cap, um, if you like, um, from the fact that kind of generally speaking, uh, finance brands under index uh, versus the, the average of all
0: others. So you'd choose Combank of the big four, would you, as the, the, the one you think is doing the best job?
1: To be honest, um, I think that the markets have made that choice for me, Um, you know, rather than, you know, that being my personal opinion necessarily.
0: Woolworths versus Coles.
1: So Coles, definitely top of mind based on the news recently that they are looking to sell um, their fuel business.
0: Yes, Coals Express sold it to um, an energy provider.
1: Yep, to Viva. And I think that is a super interesting move because it would appear as though the only reason they're doing that is to offload their carbon footprint and to make themselves a better, greener business. Um, And, you know, one of the headlines out of this year's study, you know, is... Um, the importance of emissions. And so for them to make that strategic decision to sell um, that business for what would appear to be green kind of reasons, I think is is definitely worth taking note of. Um, and, and I think it says a lot about Coles and their trajectory. And then I think you can compare that with Woolies and Endeavor Group, and the pokies and and how they've tried to manage a a kind of a similar but slightly different situation, Uh, although both would kind of get wrapped up under the banner of ESG. And I just think that Coles have done that in a much clearer, cleaner, simpler way. Um, Whereas Woolworth seems to have fudged that slightly. Um, And they've always... um, I think it, it's always been a little bit murky insofar as Woolies and the pokies. Um, and, you know, I think in general, you know, our world would be better if there were less poker machines. So I think Coles definitely get the win um, over Woolies in, in terms of, you know, how they've managed that decision um, in relation to uh, their fuel stations.
0: And one other Australian brand I'd love to get your thoughts on, because it's it's been very much in the headlines. Qantas have had an awful lot of operational challenges, which has gone from just being a kind of a individual consumer experience to con- what seems like constant headlines in recent months. Do you think that actually will have a long-term brand effect for them, or will it just be once they get back to normal, they'll bounce back to where they were quite quickly?
1: Look, I, I think there is a risk that this could be this could well be the beginning of a period in which Qantas do suffer um, a, a kind of an extended period of of pressure. And and look, I say that as a very happy Qantas customer. Um, I do count my blessings. And I, I know you travel a fair amount on Qantas as well, um, and, and so do I. But
0: less these days, I have to admit. You know, I have voted my feet to a certain extent.
1: And I do count my blessings that I'm yet to have a, one of these experiences that you read all about in terms of, you know, baggage or kind of waiting on the phone for, for hours on end, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I'm, I definitely count myself as a, a happy Qantas customer. But again, you know, relating it to um, the future brand index and what we can learn from that that might usefully inform how you might appraise um, the current situation with, um, uh, with Qantas. As, as I mentioned earlier, all of the – if we look at the top five brands on the list – um, they they all have a few attributes and characteristics in common. You know, one is they all seem to respond to what we call out um, or current the research as two of the biggest threats or challenges in the future. Um, number one is technology adoption and integration. Number two is climate change. And, and so when, when we do the research, that's what kind of played back to us. Um, and so... Kind of any business, any brand that is tackling one of one of one or both of those two, technology and climate, um, is kind of at an advantage, if you like. Um, and you know clearly there are challenges in terms of Qantas' technology. You know the website is not good. You know you just kind of drop off basically, um, and then climate change is naturally naturally a challenge. Um, and then they all school well in terms of um, their momentum and, and what's described as moving ahead. And when we look at moving ahead, the the number one kind of association there is contributing to people's well being. And so it's this it's this idea that um, you know we need to look after people and, and care for them, and not only customers but also employees. And I think on both sides of the coin, customers and employees, Qantas has had its um, struggles. You know, very well documented, um, and and so I and and then you know you read about things like the age of the fleet, and Qantas has a very old fleet. Um, it's just not investing in that future um, as much as those successful brands are. So you know, I think about climate change. I think about organisations that. Um, Kind of relate to the well-being of people, whether customers or employees. I think about the future focus that we see as a marker of success, and I don't necessarily see those as characteristics of Qantas. And I don't mean that in like a visceral response to "you lost my bags." I mean that at a strategic level, in terms of um, kind of where the how they're developing and delivering on that strategy and some of the investments or kind of strategic bets, if you like, that they're making. Now, look, Alan Joyce, much smarter than me. He may very well prove me wrong. And look, he's made big, bold decisions before, like, you know, when he grounded the fleet, but I can't help but feel for for those reasons I've outlined um, that a few issues might kind of come home to roost and, and, roost there for quite a while
0: we'll leave it there for today richard thank you very much for joining me that's it for today if you don't already please do sign up to the unmade newsletter at unmade.media today's podcast was edited by our friends at abes audio more soon toodle pip unmade podcast edit
1: by Abe's Audio.
0: Is the environment you're placing your ads the most effective it could be for your brand? Research shows premium digital environments deliver superior memorability, leading to attitude change and driving purchase intent. When you're looking to make a lasting impression, think premium digital. Visit thinkpremiumdigital.com. .au to find out more.